Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, here we are again, everybody. Dun, dun, it is dun, Script Shop. Dun, dun, dun. There she is. Dun, 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 nah, nah, nah. Singing the theme song. I love it. It gets stuck in gets stuck in my head. I know it's so peppy. I wish my parents they I wish they listened to the show because then. Do you want my parents to talk to your parents about <laughs> listening to the show? What's going on? <laughs> I was like, hey, listen to this great thing I'm doing. It's so awesome. And they're like, hmm, cool. <laughs> well, okay. This is an awkward. I, well, the reason I think about it is because. <laughs> Um, my my sister Kristen, mm-hmm. she'll sing the theme song to me, and it makes me feel like completely validated <laughs> from what I'm doing. <laughs> and you in. just want you want other members of your family I to do. be into the theme yes, song. Yes, yes, they need to know what I'm doing with my life and be proud of me for it. Which, of course, they are. But, mm, sure, but that's a kid thing, a sibling thing. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, welcome to Script Shop, everybody. I'm Allison. And I'm Jack. Uh, we try to get out some emotional, deep-seated parental issues you know, here on the show. it's funny how personal this show gets all the time, whether with us or with the writers, but that's part of why we do it and mm-hmm. why I love doing it because, uh, of course, we believe here on the show that writers have a deep personal connection to their work, and we're all about learning those stories and why. It's a good use of my time to listen to people talk about what's totally important to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I just dig it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jack. I mean, I, I don't consider any of this a waste of my time. Yeah, good. Well, Frank, what about you? We might as well just ask the team what we think about the show as we're doing this. What do I think about the show? Yeah, is it a waste well, of your time or yeah. not? Why would I be here if do it was? Do you love oh! doing this? All right, fair enough. Frank, bring in My the presence Frank. answers that question. Truly. Wow. Truly. Yeah. Nailed it. Wow. Okay. Good. You know, when Frank talks, he just says it just right. Frank's got that silent Bob element to him. Like when he's like saying something, it's going to be, there's a level of importance there because it doesn't happen all that often. Right. Like write it down. It might go on the tombstone. Yeah. 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 It's very silent Bob-esque. My presence here says it all. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. Well, listeners, today on Script Shop, we're going to be talking to Jeff Bassetti over his feature-length script, I Fiend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 112 good versus evil vampire feature. I fiend. I fiend. I fiend. <laughs> and right before the show, I was trying to figure out if I have watched any scary movies lately. Mm-hmm. And because the- there's been a there's <laughs> been a good run of like some some of the new horror now like is critically being well done. There's some well written stuff. It's not just about gore and slash fests anymore. It's the boobs. Babadook and yeah, and it's not just boobs and blood. I mean, there's still some of that every now and again. It, there was yeah, It yeah, Follows, yeah. which is a horror movie where the monster is basically a metaphor for an STD, and it's not even what? that. It's not even that. It, it's not a metaphor. Like that's exactly what's going on. This monster. The monster is an STD. Will start chasing someone who's had sex with the person who it was chasing before, and you got to pass it on to somebody uh, else. Okay, listen, I'm sorry, but like, there's such a fine line between horror mm-hmm. and comedy, actually. Sure. Because you just told me a story yeah. of an STD monster. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. It's, yeah, it is. And it's insane, too, the way these people have to run. Con- and this thing is just, like, always either walking or running after them. So they're, like, hopping in a car and, like, driving all night to buy themselves some time yeah. to figure out how they're going to deal with this thing. You it's know great. what it really reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, those commercials for, uh, like, bacteria in your plumbing where there's this little green guy that mm-hmm. just, like, is living and he's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just the idea that you have this thing that's not leaving you alone. Right. So I'm not saying that this movie is like that. It follows, isn't quite but... as charming as that is, but, I mean, it's it, you're, you're not wrong. Um, And so I don't watch horror because it scares me, which is, I'm really excited about this interview because I have to ask a lot of genre Mm-hmm. specific questions what is this how is this why how all those things things i don't know which are cool but you do watch a bunch of scary stuff i like to i, I never used to and only recently did i got into the mindset of like okay i'll give this a whirl like yeah. it, it's only gonna be scary for a little bit and like i know that monsters and right. ghosts aren't real <laughs> so that helps so when i do the festival work a lot of my friends of course are bringing like um horror films or mm-hmm. vampire, zombie, et cetera, movies to the festival. And there's usually like a Dark of the Nights 
block. And I go see those because I want to support my friends. Okay. And so this whole last year, whenever I was traveling, I'd have to like take deep breaths and sit down and watch and watch the movies that are happening. The mm-hmm. thing is, is that I just get so emotionally invested in them that I have like panic attacks. <laughs> I'm sitting there and it's just like, oh, oh my God. Well, that's what the people that are making the horror want. That's how they want their audience to react, well, I would think. They're nailing it then. Yeah. yeah. You're a perfect audience candidate, candidate for, for that these sort of things. Thing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, and the thing with Jeff's script too for for I Fiend is there's also a very strong action element to it. Also, it's it's not that's true. It, it's it's a horror film. The way what was the Schwarzenegger sort of end of the world? The, uh, the Terminator? No, stuff? no, no, no. It came way later. I think it had Gabriel Byrne in it. It, it had to do with the stigmata. I think a little, it may have been called oh, stigmata. Yeah. I don't remember. But like, there's an action element yeah. very much to this. You know, that's such a good point to bring up about the script that it's just not like a surface level vampire. There's right. action, and then there's also like really heavy religious and good versus evil Mm -hmm. conscious tones Mm -hmm. in it too which i think is what makes it pretty valuable yeah and why i'm excited about talking to jeff here on the show about it uh yeah so uh before we talk to jeff we should talk about we talked about things that we're that we we either will watch or refuse to watch because of scare (laughs) uh but reading wise yes anything on your yes i've been um reading ready player one Oh yeah, which of course is a feature film, and uh, it started as a book. And I thought the concept was really interesting, which is basically one of these like super um, post-apocalyptic. It's like not post-apocalyptic, but kind of where it's like mid-apocalyptic. Yeah, where things haven't blown up. But okay, they're well on their way there, and everybody's connected into virtual reality sets, mm-hmm. living inside the Oasis, which is this online computer world. Okay, and the guy who created it, like dies and creates this contest and there's all these kids trying to win it versus big bad corporations and so it's very puzzly and um it's an easy read it's a a young adult novel okay and so it's super easy to get through and it's real like video gamey right it really is yeah it's totally out of tune for me um because i usually am like i don't know i read a lot of traditional novels and not tons of new stuff mm-hmm. when my siblings are reading things i read those because i want to know what all the kids are talking about okay <laughs> but, keep your finger on that pulse <laughs> yeah i have something to talk with them about a lot of the times mm-hmm. um but i don't usually read like computer action stuff and i'm enjoying it that's cool yeah what about you it's supposed to be pretty popular um i have actually gotten something new i tweeted not terribly long ago script shop jack script shop jack that i don't read enough Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison is a primarily a comic book writer who is just this insane genius. Like, all of his stuff is real next level. There's, like, hit-you-over-the-head symbolism, but it's still, like, mm. you know, Batman punching the Joker in the face type stuff. Yeah. He wrote this series a few years ago called Seven Soldiers of Victory, which I never read and I always wanted to. Mm-hmm. And it's about just a bunch of these, like, DC Comics characters that were real low-level and, like, he has them sort of like they're all on this team, but they don't know that they're on a team. Mm. Like, they're existing in different times and worlds, and, like, they sort of have to come together to fight this common threat. But they don't—it's not like a traditional, like, well, here we are. Let's turn around and fight, fight the bad guy. Together. Like, they just sort of are all sort of working toward the same goal. Yeah. I'm, I don't know a lot about it, but I've been—I've read the first trade of it, and it's very good so far. So, there—you say, like, they don't know— are they like kind of going through their separate journeys yes. and they're all leading up to the same thing? Yes, and they're like they're, okay. there's just th- there's a common so threat like, that they're all like dealing with. It's like love actually, but Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but with capes and swords and stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. I got it. So anyway, I, that's uh, I've been enjoying reading that very much, The Seven Soldiers of Victory. Okay, cool. Well, I think it's that time. I uh, it's the best time. Are you show. feeling creepy? Do you need anything to get Am you I ready for creepy? talk about creepy stuff and hmm. actiony vampires? I wore a cozy sweater today, That'll so do. I think I'm okay. All right. Well, we should talk to uh, the guy who came up with all these action shop, vampires. Oh, yes. He's singing. He's singing. Script shop show. Yes. Script shop show. Script shop show. Hi, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> yes. Gold awards go to Jeff. And how are you guys doing? Just awesomely. Thank you so much for coming on the show and singing it. I love it. Yeah, that's sweet. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you for inviting Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yes. So, of course, you're calling us from California, as we discussed just a little bit before the show. Um, beautiful, beautiful yeah. California. You are in the beautiful San Fernando Valley, mm-hmm. right? That is true. The sun is out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just died down. Uh, like a nice settling down type of day. Yeah. That sounds good. Are you born and bred California? Yeah. Are you from there originally? Yeah. Cool. Uh, no, I'm from Northern California, actually. Oh, yeah. Northern. Yeah. But, uh, it, it, yeah, Northern 
Scotland. Yeah, I don't know if that's a big hop, skip, and a jump, but uh, then immigrated down here. What's it like culture-wise to go from Northern California to Southern California? Is it a big change, or is it just sort of a different flavor of barbecue sauce? Yeah, a different flavor of barbecue sauce. Okay. Uh, I went to, I attended San Francisco State University, and for the life of me, I could not figure out how to drive around San Francisco because um, of all the one-way streets. I thought I'd be going one way, and uh, crap, I can go a long way, and I have to circle back around, and L.A. just kind of made sense. You figure out Wilshire, Sunset, and a couple other streets, and you're good. Okay. So as far as how to get from here to there. So that was the, that was the biggest thing for me, was I've just got a bad sense of direction as far as, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, thank, thank, God for, thank God for ways. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> when did you move down to L.A.? Um, let's see. 2004, I was at AFI, so about 2000. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, I had attended uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco State University. For some reason, I trip over that every time I say it because I try and say it too fast. San Francisco. Um, San Francisco, and, um, San Francisco, San Francisco. Um, prior to that, I had, or during SF State, I had uh, I was fortunate enough to get into the uh, Lucasfilm internship at Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. Holy cow. That's cool. What's that? How does that yeah. happen? Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. The uh, it was a film 101 class, um, and uh, I had shot my version of Pet Cemetery, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, in eight minutes on. Super eight millimeter film, non sync mm-hmm. sound, and after the the, the film screened, um, this woman leaned up behind me and she tapped me on the shoulder and she complimented the film and she says, "You have to try out for Lucasfilm internship." I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool." And then I leaned back and go, "How?" And she goes, "I can get you an application." I'm like, "Okay, great, thanks." How? <laughs> and she goes, "My husband's the president of Lucasfilm." No kidding. And uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, which started to put things in perspective as to why everybody in class was kissing her ass. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Um, oh. And and pretty much she and I became friends uh, simply because I was oblivious as to, you know, what her connection was. And uh, uh, I actually got I got the internship and cool. uh, interned for two consecutive semesters there at ILM. What was that like? Yeah. It, it's... Behind the scenes, Disneyland, but really, it's a it's an office complex, industrial park. It was uh, uh, in San Rafael, California, and of course, they've moved over into the Presidio. Uh, uh, I don't know in the last ten years or so, and um, but it was you know when they're blowing up stuff, everybody comes and hangs out. And mm. You see the you know the fireworks literally go off, and mm-hmm. um, my main show was uh, Joe vs. the Volcano, that Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie mm-hmm. that John Patrick Shanley had written and directed. And um, uh, uh, I worked a little bit on The Abyss and a little bit on Back to Future 2. And wow. I actually got to help puppeteer the collapse of Mount Fuji for Kurosawa's dream. <laughs> and cool. uh, that, was, that was pretty amazing because the camera was going like 240 frames a second. And it lasted all of three seconds, the whole thing. And, oh, my gosh. You know, 24 hours later, we get to see how the footage looked and... and uh, uh, it was it was pretty amazing. This is a heck of a resume, man. That's 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 wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was it was it was amazing. It was an amazing time there, definitely. So, and I was just getting yanked over to a ghost with uh, uh, the producer Ned Gorman, and uh, uh, my grades were starting to suffer because I was spending uh, a little too much time at ILM. Uh huh. Too much fun. <laughs> I, I mean, I bet. How could you leave a place like that? I wouldn't want to do anything. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go back and start doing algebra when you're busy helping, like, Kurosawa make a volcano collapse. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a real tough decision because I, I could have stayed on and done the, uh, done the entire show. But uh, it's like I, I would have, I probably would have not gone back to school and finished it if I had, uh, if I had stayed on with Ghost. Because mm-hmm. um, that would have easily transitioned me out of. So, you know, could have, would have, should have, who knows. Mm-hmm. So they didn't um, have you just, like, going and getting coffee. You were doing, like, real film educational things. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, uh, uh, there was, there was my times of script copying where I was, you know, you know, making 20 scripts. And one day the, uh, the producer was gone and he's like, okay, you've got to run the dailies. And I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Joe versus Volcano Daily. Everybody, come on down. Wow! wow. That's it. Uh, the effects guys uh, make their notes about how the uh, 
the shop look and and put uh, put filters on for the next uh, go round and try and get the composite uh, right and and move on. And this is this is like back in the analog days too. It wasn't like there was like I said, I was working on the abyss as well. But that was like the first getting close to the first time where they were doing real digital uh, visual effects. Yeah. So. Uh, so you that up- was prepping for Terminator Two. Oh, man. Yeah, Yeah, so you were kind of there in like a really nice, fun, sweet spot in terms of the movies that the studio was making. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you ended up going back to school then, and uh, what did you do with the rest of the program you were in? Uh, At SF State, it was pretty much uh, a little bit of film animation, uh, film studies, and and, uh, myth and folklore. And uh, I kind of crafted my own, a little bit of my own... uh, um, curriculum there to some degree because when i got there for the orientation the, the, the i think the head of the department was Lavaco, but he was anyway whoever it was at the front of the auditorium said if you're here to make hollywood maybe movies you're at the wrong uh, uh school and i'm just like oh man <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just like, All right, I'm gonna make the best out of it mm-hmm. and to be honest if i had gone to any other school i would have never met susan and i would have never gotten to the ilm internship so right you know all good things it's always so tricky when people say something like that because um young people don't really have the context to understand how many different levels and layers of of industry work there are and so right you know personally people will say it to me as an actor all the time mm-hmm. like Hollywood this, Hollywood that, but but it really it doesn't show the depth of the work you can get as a performer or a filmmaker in this industry. Right. So when did writing become more of a thing for you? You were doing a lot of effect stuff, and you had myth and folklore as sort of one of your focuses. When when did writing really kick in for you? It that started when I when I came when I actually came down here to SoCal, and uh, uh, there was like a core group of us Northern California nurse who came down and. Uh, um, my buddy Chris Featheroff and I, we just like, well, let's make a movie. <laughs> so it just kind of started that easy. And we're like, but what is it? And, and we, we, uh, we had another buddy who was in the screenwriting program at UCLA, Chris, Christopher Hutchings. And he wrote this script for his screenplay class called F stops. And we read it, liked it, thought it needed some work as you know, most people who interpret other people's screenplays do. And, uh, you know, we said, can we, can we have it? And he's like, yeah, take it. I hate it. So I'm like, all right, great. So Chris and I spent a couple of years, uh, developing it as well as at the same time looking for funding. And we actually shot a concept trailer for it, which helped get us into some doors. And, uh, two times we had come close with some producers who, uh, uh, who said, we love this trailer. It's awesome. It's exciting. And, and, and we're going to help you fund it. And, six months to a year later, they couldn't put it together. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we, uh, so Chris and I just said, you know, it, it, it was almost kind of a desperate statement. We're like, we just got to do this ourselves, which is kind of a duh statement. Um, and during one of the, one of the tenures with one of the producers, we had gone, we had gone as far as uh, trying to get another script, uh, uh, produced at a lower cost called friends suck, which is my buddy Chris's uh, <laughs> brainchild. And it's like an anti-relationship co- comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, so we'd gone up to Northern California and, and uh, done some location scouting. And one of the location scouting was in the plastic surgery office of uh, 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 a doctor. My mom worked for Dr. Bunkus. And we said, we just need an examination room. And he's like, yep, whatever you guys need, come on down. Just give us 24 hours heads up. And you can use however you want. And so mm-hmm. on. we're like, fantastic. It's right. a lot of freedom so, for an examination room. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's basically, as soon as you leave L.A., everything becomes a lot more uh, uh, amenable. <laughs> People get a lot more excited about uh, letting you do stuff. Yeah. And uh, we parted ways with those producers because they eventually couldn't, you know, they couldn't get any, any funding really put together. Um, and, uh, so Chris and I were, you know, kind of just talking to each other, like, and that's the great thing about having a partnership is, is when one of you gets so far down, the other one's like, you know, pulling you along. And Chris and I exchanged those roles many times oh, that's where I was just like, yeah. I don't know what to do. And I'm just depressed and, yeah. you know, don't have any direction on what we have to do. Chris is like, no, no, let's do this. And, you know, moving forward. So we find a direction and we, we tackle it. Um, 
Well, anyway, I had, I had asked my mom, I said, because she worked for this doctor, and I said, uh, you know, is there, uh, is there uh, any way we could talk to him about funding? And she's like, no, 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 I, I wouldn't want to ask him. And then she calls me up like six months later or something, and she said, yeah, so you should get up here because he wants to talk to you about a movie. <laughs> like okay, mm-hmm. so I get the story from her, and basically they were—he was in plastic surgery doing his thing, and and uh, he asked my mom, and she's like, "Whatever happened to your son's movie? He was coming up here to do this, and all of a sudden nothing." And she says, "Well, the money fell through." And he goes, "Well, how much does he need?" And uh, she says, "I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, I think." And and, she, and he's sitting here, you know, again doing his thing, uh, plastic surgery. You can insert the uh, visual. Yeah. Um, and 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 she, he starts going. Well, Brett, you could put in this, and you could put in this, and, you could, and he starts putting the funding package together with the doctors who were in the OR. Oh my gosh! And wow. uh, so we went up there and uh, uh, talked to him, and he pretty much just sat down and said, "Educate me." And we started talking to him about it. We showed him the uh, the business plan we put together and the trailer, and and uh, he says, "All right, let's do this." Wow! Like, All right, great. He goes, "I'm moving down to Southern California uh, in a couple of weeks, so." You know, give me three, three or four weeks before we can actually get, really get anything going. But you know, let's do this. And yeah, like, right, quickly. That's, that's yeah. awesome. And Chris and I walked out, and we were just like, "Wow, we uh, <laughs> we've been saying we can do this forever, and now we really have to do it." <laughs> so, it's one thing to be to be confident that you can do it, and then it's another that's like, "Yo, we got to do this." Right. So uh, we uh, we got the money. We started pre production, and and. Uh, um, you know, you, you, there's never enough money and you make comp, uh, compromises and sacrifices as you go in the production. And, and, uh, uh, the film, uh, the film came out really well. I think we, the one mistake we made is we rushed it for, uh, for a film festival. Mm. And we said at the front and we weren't going to do that. And our publicist came back and was like, I got you into this festival. We're like, Oh great. We have to have this, we have to have this film ready by, uh, you know, by next week or whatever it was. Yikes. And, uh, uh, it, uh, it needed some massaging, and I was uh, I was fortunate enough to go back into it a couple of years later and actually do a recut. Um, we came close to distribution and uh, actually got into uh, two two uh, producers who want, or distributors who wanted to, to take it out, and um, it just the deal never the deal never kind of solidified. So we kind of just languished and you know didn't didn't really get to that next level. So it. Uh, uh, we just kind of sat, and then my cinematographer wanted to enter in the International Cinematographer Guild Showcase, which was co-sponsored by Kodak because we actually shot on film. And so, but with the trick there is we had to cut it down to a half hour, so we cut a ninety-minute feature down to thirty minutes. Oh, geez. Wow. And uh, yeah, it, it was a little tough. You know, how do you tell? How do you take a ninety-minute and condense it down and still have all the flavor of the original? And and finally, I came up with this idea of basically pulling a Tarantino or Orson Welles and kind of juxtaposing the end with the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when we screened at the DGA, um, I think we were like the fifth or sixth film up and all the other films that were there were these, you know, hand-painted wash, uh, color washes of, of uh, 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 different color palettes uh, on black and white film and whatnot. And it was very artsy and, and, the you could just tell the mood in the theater was getting a little kind of low and people were starting to yawn a little bit and i heard someone else snoring to my left and 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 then when f-stops came on um all of a sudden people started kind of perking up and got started getting belly laughs and and uh uh uh, uh, uh the whole audience just really livened up and then they broke for uh, what do you call it? Uh, the intermission. Yeah. And uh, we actually got taken to Cannes with that. Cool. And uh, yeah. This is um, a huge deal for like the so, first film you've ever made. Yeah. F Stomps, I think, is a bit different than what we have from you with I Fiend. And yeah, you, know, you talked a, you talked a lot about how um, you kind of got kick started into film based off of some work you did inspired by Stephen King. You also studied myth and folklore, mm-hmm. which, of course, come back to really, really um, uh, filling, I, I fiend. Have, have you always been interested in kind of this, like, myth, folklore? Because I fiend, of course, has a lot of Greek references as well. Yeah. And so it, it would be yeah. interesting to kind of learn 
what interests you about that and where that comes from in you? Uh, just the the you know the Iliad, the Odyssey, the the Catholicism. It's uh, you know I'm Catholic, so of course I'm pretty. You know I wouldn't call myself a uh, a Bible scholar, but uh, I certainly had my my fair share of uh, knowledge of it. And uh, um, the vampire movies that I'd been seeing uh, come out, just they were all straying towards it's a virus. It's uh, 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 you know, uh, an STD, if you will. You guys were talking about it follows. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I really, I think that was kind of getting played out. So there wasn't really any new territory to really go with that, you know, and they, the stories were always about, you know, the vampires were going to learn to, you know, figure out how to live in the daylight. And uh, um, so I wanted to kind of take it back to, you know, it's more Dracula myth roots of, you know, uh, uh, opposing God and, and uh, yeah. Uh, 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 you know, being cursed. Right. And, uh, um, you know, like there's a uh, uh, statement when Persephone's talking to Father Aguiar that, you know, it's like, what's the difference between cursed and chosen? I wrote mm-hmm. that line down. I, I actually really, I thought that was a very good line in terms of the person who is either cursed or chosen, like not being able to see the forest for the trees because you're exactly. you're the one. Um, do you want to just lay out for our audience a little bit what this story is about and what happens in it. And then we can get into reading a selection of the script after that, if you want to just set a little bit of the world for us. It's, uh, it's actually a fully written trilogy. Uh, so two and three Ooh. are actually written already. Wow. Um, wow. But uh, it's about these group of kids, these teenagers who are going out to celebrate uh, one of their friends, uh, Josephine, uh, her nickname is Fiend. Um, her 16th birthday, and so it's a coming of age. It's you know she she's saying in the in the uh, uh, car when she's going to school with her father, to where she he's like you know I don't know what I want to do in my life. She's like I have no idea, and he's like chillax. It's you know everything will come and happen you know as it's meant to, and as you explore what's what's going on, you know as as things come at you and you explore new things. Well, what she's exploring or what she's going to end up exploring is, uh, you know, uh, standing up against her friends. So it's, it's again, coming into her own individuality and not becoming, not, not remaining a follower, but becoming a leader and opposing yeah. uh, uh, her friends who want to go off in a very different direction. Yeah, um, and becoming your own person in a way that maybe you don't plan on it being, like having to deal with yeah. when, when life throws you a curveball. When life turns you into yeah. a vampire, right. you like, have to deal with it. Really the ultimate curveball. Yeah. <laughs> when you yeah, are the, every, now the undead. Treats, uh, you know, like Anne Rice and all that, they, they treat, the, they treat the, uh, the vampirism as a, as a very sexy thing. And, and you know, and it, it is in some ways, but it's also, it's pretty horrific if you think about the, the fact that you've... Uh, you know, you've got to drink the blood of uh, yeah. of uh, of people. Right. And th- again, this is something I, I really wanted to put a rule down is you can't just buy, you know, go down to the local butchery and, and get some cow's blood or whatever and drink it. It's got to be from the tap, from the living person. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no, uh, uh, you know, going to a blood bank and siphoning it off. It has to be from the living. Mm-hmm. So, so, so- and actually you're taking their life. So that adds more. Uh, element of danger and and uh, in the in the story as well. You know, again, depending on who you're talking about. If you're talking about Persephone, Cassandra, and Sela and Zeke, they're all good with it. But Fiend has a big problem with it. She's you know obviously she's she respects life and people and everything. Right. So um, whereas the others are a little bit you know they've got problems. I don't, as she says to the vampire that changed them. Yeah. So basically, so. Josephine is this young girl talking with her father about what to do with her life. Um, she ends up going to a party with some of her friends. Uh, they, I'm trying to remember just, I think they get bit at that party. Well, the, at the, the makeout party, the yeah. big bad guy goes after Josephine and then the friends are sort of ancillary to it. Cause he, she's the one that he is really right. after. Yeah. Yes. And which changes them yeah. all into vampires and then kickstarts this. Um, I mean, it's, it is and it isn't metaphorical at the same time where they're vampires, the kids kind of as a group embrace it, except for Josephine, mm-hmm. who then works through right. her own struggles of getting back to normal or trying to go back to normal and ultimately not really being able to. Let's go ahead and read um, a selection from the script here. We have the opening four pages of the script for our listeners today. 
Um, Jack and I both really enjoyed the action writing in the script, whether yeah. it's laying out this first scene or some of the action later on. So this, Thank you. you're welcome. This first selection, listeners, does a great job of kind of um, distinctly sharing action. And so I mm-hmm. will be reading Josephine today, and uh, Frank will be reading a boy. And uh, later on in the script, you find out who that boy is, but you'll have to access the script to read it. Um, and on scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. <laughs> and Jack is going to be doing all of our action today for us. So, um, Frank, hello again. And this is kind of how things kick off. This is the way. Yeah, this, this is, is the, the opening. Page one of the I, script. I love when we get to read openings mm-hmm. when it makes sense for the show or for the script that we're doing because it's just such a like very straightforward way to share w- what the writer is doing. Yeah, this is the, the tone listeners. setter. Yeah. yeah. So cool. Um, so you guys feeling good? Everybody feeling ready? Frank, how do you feel? Frank's with us today. I'm good. Yeah. They've already heard he me. He talked on the show earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm forgetable. <laughs> Mark Aww. that. No, that's not true at all. That's crazy talk. Don't say that for me. <laughs> um, and so, um, Jack, whenever you're ready, if you want to just take it away. Okay. Shawl Estate Day. The family name Shawl is written decoratively into a wrought iron front gate arch. A weathered for sale sign lays discarded next to a standing no trespassing sign. The grounds are unkempt. In the second-floor bedroom window, violent impact fractures radiate out from a bloody handprint. Inside, we see the body of a girl laying discarded on a four-poster bed. Interior, Josephine's shoal bedroom, day. Sunlight spills in through the window, shifts as permitted by the rain clouds outside, becoming brighter one moment and snuffed out the next. The dead girl was Josephine Calvary, 17 years old, nicknamed Fiend. Svelte, the girl next door, looking every bit three days dead, hands and arms curled inward like she suffered a stroke. Carol of the Bells suddenly sings out from a smartphone on the floor. The display updates to read, April 9th, 2023, Mom, 56 missed calls. Dad, 52 missed calls. Johnny, 53 missed calls. A fly walks over her cataract-glazed eye. Her canine teeth then eject replaced by longer, sharper fangs as the silver crucifix around her neck catches fire and sinks into her chest, leaving a branded mark. The chain trails into her chest as her pallid complexion turns alabaster white. Perfection. She blinks, washing away the cataract. The color of her irises shift from brown to unnatural, luminous blue-white. She takes a breath, repose and then explodes into hyperventilation. She swallows the fly, smash cut to black. A bolt of bioelectricity arcs, lighting up her cranium and flickers out. Another bolt lights up and dies, and then another. Each bolt strikes, regenerating brain soft tissue. Interior, Josephine's shoal bedroom day. Fiend bolts upright like a shot, screaming as her bones crack with every move she makes. Then she sits still, staring out into oblivion. Her hands fly up, clutching at her chest and throat, reliving the end she suffered. She huffs, trying to catch her breath, as a sudden spike of pain sends her twisting around, throwing herself off the bed, hitting the ground hard. She curls herself up into a ball, awake and aware. Her frenzied eyes dart about the bedroom. The bedroom goes brighter as sunlight breaks through the clouds outside, shedding light on her iPhone. She reaches for it. If she had any color left in her face, it would have drained away from looking at the phone. Three days? What? Three days? No, 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 no. I'm dead. Off balance, Fiend gets to her feet and rushes for the door. The clouds outside shift, letting through a sharp shaft of sunlight. Oh, my God. Oh, my. No, 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 no. What happened to... uh, Three days? Fire explodes around her, shrieking out. Fiend springs forward, flipping end over end. A snapshot of Fiend remains on the wall, a shadowy silhouette of ash caught by sunlight, trapped as if put there by the atomic blast at Hiroshima. Landing flat on her back, she frantically swats out the flames. She looks horrified at her charred right arm, exposed tissue and bone. Burnt skin flakes away as she rubs her face, feeling exposed jawbone. Distraught, she finally looks past her disfigured hand out into the bedroom. It's upside down. Reveal that Fiend is actually laying on the wall. She is upside down, not the room. Panic-stricken, she crawls down the side of the wall until she gets right with the floor and scrambles out of the bedroom. Interior, shoal second-floor hallway, continuous. Fiend rushes out into a hallway lined with tall, thin-facing mirrors. 
She looks, but nothing reflects back, except for her clothing. What? She touches the mirror. It's real. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where where am I? Crunch. The mirror suddenly spiderwebs. Reveal fiend on the other side of the looking glass, her skeletal fist embedded into the mirror. Shards of glass are extruding from her fist as she pulls back. Where am I? Fiend frantically runs back and forth in the hall of mirrors, desperately trying to find herself in any of them. She punches, shattering each mirror. Hysterical and distracted, Fiend walks into a shaft of sunlight beaming down from a skylight, and fire explodes, knocking her back onto the checkerboard floor, leaving ash and residue behind where she stood. Behind her, at the far end of the hall, a lean, shadowy figure watches, a giant compared to her. A shrieking cry echoes. On the move, Fiend hugs the wall as she slides past another shaft of blinding sunlight. Rushing up to the balcony railing, overlooking the grand stone and marble living room, Fiend sees a twitching human torch framed in the white light pouring through the window. Help. Me. Help me. Help me. Their eyes meet one instant before he reduces to ashes. Fiery embers float suspended in the sunlight. Fiend looks and spots Persephone, Cassandra, Sela, Zeke, and Damien, her teenage cadre, laying unconscious in shadow. She feebly runs downstairs. Catching her feet, she trips and falls the rest of the way. A flash of white as she strikes her head at the bottom. Fiend is out cold as Persephone suddenly pops up screaming. Her rose-colored sunglasses askew on her face. White noise cues up abruptly, sounding like an alarm. And scene. There's your scene. There's that. There, there's that that's so the way good. it kicks off. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. That, yeah. You guys, you guys got to read the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like going, oh, wow, that's really good. <laughs> well, script shop cast here available for hire. Just yeah, give sure. us a call anytime. <laughs> yeah, we'll have our people call your people. There Jeff, you one of the things I really did enjoy about reading your script was the way you just, and, there, and there's a lot of scene. there's several scenes like that where there's sort of chaos going on and then that sometimes leads into different fights and in the multiple fight and action mm-hmm. sequences that are in the script. I thought you did a great job of describing the way the action was playing out in a way where it was really easy for me to, to picture it in my head. Yeah. yeah. See it all playing out in my head. Thank I thought you. that was great. That, that that makes me really happy. That makes me really happy. Is this just like a something you do well, or did you have to work on that and refine it to kind of get some of the action down? Do you have any any things you do to get your action uh, to show up so well? I, I I have to work on it. Definitely, it's not something that just pretty much nothing just flows out effortlessly uh, out of me. I, I I really have to work at it, but I. You know, I'm also a director and I, you know, every time I write something, I write it because I'm visualizing how I would direct it. And, you know, each sentence is its own shot. And, you know, the break would be to the next shot that would be opposing the previous one. And, and uh, um, I, I, I think I'm writing it for myself as well, trying to remember how it would, you know, giving me, giving me uh, uh, literary cues that would suggest the visual yeah. Um, so it, again, it it makes me very happy that it's working. Right. Because then, effectively, you could just take your script and then do a shot list, really yeah. simply out of it. Yeah. 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 That, that makes um, a lot of sense. Some, I mean, it's it's not an indie project for sure. Um, it uh, it's it's a it's a higher budgeted movie. I'm thinking, you know, in the twenty to thirty million range. So I've got a got a lot of road to hoe to to get to where I can. Uh, uh, realistically uh, get that produced. Right. You know, one of the questions I had prepared for this interview was like, well, how would you how would you manage all of the special effects and all of the action scenes? Because those are going to take choreography. They're going to take time. There's not only digital special effects, but there might have to be like action special effects as people like fly right. through this and fly through that, et cetera. And um, just hearing that you're targeting something much bigger to to support that, it makes tons of sense for the script and how much kind of like mythological action there has to be in this type of script. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, uh, and to be honest, I want, I want, I'd, I'd want to embrace as much practical as possible. Um, but also, you know, have some serious meetings between the practical effects guys and the, uh, the visual, the digital visual effects guys and just go, what's gonna, what's gonna make the most sense and, and, uh, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's when I was writing it, I w- kind of wasn't worrying about that. I'm like, oh, that'll take care of itself later. 
Um, I was just like, you know, how can I make a compelling story that I would want to see? Right. And uh, uh, that has enough character development uh, of all the players as well as enough action to keep the story moving. Um, my wife read him, read all three scripts, and because she's a tough audience, because she 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 gets bored real quick if something's not moving along. Mm-hmm. Um, she also likes Hallmark movies, so um, I make fun of her on those. But uh, <laughs> um, but she's a real tough audience. She's like, no, she 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 said it moves really well. Mm-hmm. So she said it was a really a really fun and easy read. Um, so that would then suggest that the film itself, as long as we you know we hit the right beats and the edit right, then it should also fall into, fall into place as far as uh, a fun, fast pace. Right. Um, what inspired you to focus on a group of high schoolers yeah. and these teenagers here in the script? And specifically girls. Right. Ellen Ripley from Alien. Okay. Uh, that was my first kind of introduction that really stuck into my mind as far as the, the true movie heroine. Um, and uh, it, I hadn't put, you know, any of the thought process together about, you know, men are doing this and women are doing that. And uh, uh, I just thought she was a badass. She was not, you know, treated, uh, her, you know, she could hold her own in a, in a fight literally and, and, you know, against the alien as well as just against the men in, in, her, uh, in her crew. Um, and uh, um, that just kind of... I just, I don't know, I just gravitated towards it. And uh, the one thing I don't, I don't care for all that much are, are characters that, that have all the right skill sets to deal with the problem that just happens to be thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like those fish-out-of-water uh, uh, elements, and that's why, you know, you got kids, and they're, you know, they're growing up, they, they think they know everything, they, they uh, you know, the, the world is their oyster, they've got, you know, nothing but time, and... Uh, uh, that that's ripe territory, I think, to uh, uh, to really delve into this. And uh, um, you know, Fiend, for example, she's been, you know, she's pretty much a, a, a an, an introvert uh, when she got to to St. Michael's, and uh, uh, the pastor, uh, Father Aguiar, took her under wing, and you know teaching her skills and uh, to build up her confidence through combat, you know, suggested t- she takes martial arts while well, she excelled at it. And, you know, he's teaching her boxing and, and, uh, uh, um, you know, so she's building up her confidence, but again, in her, in her click, she's still a follower, you know? So that's where it kind of like, she's got to step up. She's got to, you know, she knows this is wrong and she's got to, you know, uh, 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 really go against her friends on this. And that was actually, do you remember the scene on the uh, rooftop when uh, Persephone and the gang find her after she, she killed uh, that guy? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Cause um, it's a, it's a bloodbath. Uh, and I know the audience doesn't necessarily know what I'm talking about. Um, but that scene was the original, originally that scene was not working. It, it, there was just something wrong with it. And then I finally figured it out is that she wasn't doing anything she was just saying, stop, don't, you can't do that. You know? And, and, and she wasn't actually putting anything behind that because her friends challenged her mm-hmm. and she flew off. Um, oh yeah, she can fly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Easter egg. <laughs> so in the, in the, in the version that you've read, she, you know, says, stop, you can't do that. And then she takes action. You know, she steps up at that moment and she's like, no, you, that's wrong. You can't, you know, we can't go killing people. We have to figure this out another right. way. And, uh, we have to, you know, uh, uh, she's trying to figure a way to change back, and her friends are like, "Yeah, no, we don't want any of that. We we love this," and because uh, they're just mad at the world. And Persephone's got her her obvious uh, 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 rationale for it. Yeah, um, I, the the conflict that you set up between these these two girls that are friends at first, and then you know they get turned into vampires, and the one Josephine, this good one who comes from a good family and yeah has mm-hmm. feelings of guilt about killing people, um, it, it ha- all of a sudden finds herself very much at odds with her friend who is always a little more outgoing, who comes from a much worse household, and is very much embracing all of this newfound power and death and, and 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 all of that the ferocity of it all i mean i don't know i don't know necessarily where persephone's character came from uh um it possibly influenced from uh some of the uh the women i've dated um i've just run into so many women who unfortunately have have had situations like that that uh wait like turning uh, into just, a vampire it, 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 <laughs> 
No, like the the kind of more messed with thing. Yes. Um, I mean, she's pretty um, much a dick in this script, if I can just be really frank. She's the only character who says the type of thing she says. She's the only one yeah. who has like this really polished, glossy act that gets her through mm-hmm. situations that she might be getting in trouble in. She At yeah. one point, she gets in trouble at school, and the priest is like, come with me. And she's like, mm, no, and just leaves. Yeah. You know? Like she's yeah. she's a real she's a real piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um she uh she she definitely knows who she is. She's she wants she, but she also lacks control um uh in her life until this happens. And that's why she embraces this thing. Yeah. She's like I've got control now. I can you know, what I say goes now uh, uh, for the first time um uh in her life, or at least perceptively as to how, how she she thinks she can control. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the last thing she wants is for Fiend to be remote. She has none of them have any idea actually how to go back to how things were. Right. Um, but that's the Fiend or Persephone doesn't even want her to even try. Right. And, uh, um, it's, uh, to be honest, I, I love Persephone. She's, she's a, she's a badass, and she, she, Gets redemption down the line. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. So we have then. Um, so basically, what we're talking about is like this idea of making one choice in life versus another, going down the path of good versus the path of bad, or or like righteousness versus um, unrighteousness, morality or not. Mm-hmm. Characterized in a high school group who is at a very important point in their life, whether they get bit by vampires right. or not. Yeah. And then this other thing happens that basically the metaphor and the lesson in the story gets kind of played out through then. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's just kind of, it's nice and refreshing that it's a new take again on this vampire story that he's talking about. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about like the Alice in Wonderland stuff in the script? And then again, the Greek mythology and the dolls and the marionettes and what those oh, yeah. themes mean? All that marionette stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the the Greek mythology is just it's it's it's. I didn't want it to be strictly a thousand percent Catholic. Uh, 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 I wanted to kind of mix other things because I I think and you know God will probably strike me dead, but uh, Catholicism I I think is a mythology. Um, uh, it's it's a set of morals that we we've been taught. You know, the Ten Commandments or fifteen if you believe Mel Brooks. Um, and, (laughs) um, and so I wanted, I wanted to kind of throw, you know, again, the world mythology, uh, cause I've, you know, ever since, you know, I, I got to know Star Wars and studied beyond that, you know, cause there's a lot more going on there than just, you know, lightsaber battles and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, that George infused and, um, uh, found out he had studied under Joseph Campbell, uh, his, you know, one world myth, uh, 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 concept, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's one, there's the story of the one. Well, you know, I wanted to make my version of the one, you know, so, you know, Catholicism has the one being Jesus Christ and, and, uh, um, you know, the one is Odysseus. The one is, you know, the Iliad, the one, you know, the one is always being brought up all the time in all of our world myth. Sure. And so the kind of, that's why I brought the, the, the Greek and, you know, Persephone is the one in her story, you know, uh, as far as Greek and being in Hades and all that. And the dolls. Um, I took that to be this Persephone's it used to be in control and being manipulative. And yeah, she's going to have some yeah. visual metaphors of, yeah, I want to manipulate things. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the dolls are pretty much, uh, definitely re- obviously representations of, of things to be controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, representation of humans, uh, uh, you know, someone controlling something else, um, especially in her her fantasy where her dolls come to life and rescue her. Right. Right. Um, oh, right. Uh, and then the marionettes that obviously plays out later with uh, with a little stitch work. Yeah. So involving uh, the the other bad guy that we have in this whole thing is a badden, which is that sort of shadowy figure that in that opening scene was taught was sort of watching it all, and he's this like central sort of vampire character that's driving a lot of the action, or at least gets things started. And the way you describe him in the script is having he's this tall, dark figure with a very white and serene, almost attractive looking face, which I thought was. Mm-hmm 
I think that's the stronger choice in terms of monsters. Are is it is there pressure to come up with like a look for like a big monster like that and have it be something that's original? Because it feels like a lot of it's been done at this point. Yeah, that's uh, that's really true. I mean, I. I... I, you know, I, I haven't gone through any kind of uh, visual development yet with uh, with the script. Uh, mm-hmm. I did a little bit with uh, with an artist, uh, Charles Wills, uh, for uh, Persephone and uh, uh, Fiend, um, but we haven't hit uh, Abaddon yet. And uh, you know, you go back and you look at the classic cliche uh, uh, vampirism uh, uh, monsters and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could I could take him down an ugly path, or I could take him down a beautiful beautiful path, or something just completely you know uh, 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 different. And I'm I, you know, the way I've described him, I think is one way it can go. And certainly, I'm I'm open to and willing to embrace uh, 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 evolving that visual look for him, mm-hmm. so that uh, uh, he truly is a a, a standout, memorable vampire. Um, uh, uh, the and in, in this the, the vampires basically are likened to they're a warrior cast of angel, right? They're mm-hmm. the fallen ones. So right. this is definitely you know heaven and hell, right? Um, with Earth as a battleground because you know we're we're just around the corner from the apocalypse. Yeah, because the way the big climax at the end of this, like after you've gone through all this, like this girl is fighting her friends and there's people getting killed by these friendly, mm-hmm. these these monsters, but they used to be her friends and all this. And then it builds to this huge confrontation involving this like army of vampires that are like 15 feet tall showing up ready to let's let's do this. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's a huge uh, dramatic uh, buildup uh, at the end. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, Empire Strikes Back is my one of my favorite of the Star Wars movies, and the the frustrating note that it ends on is, yeah. is kind of why I chose to okay end this this way to say something more is coming. And you know, like I said, I've written number two, which picks up pretty much exactly where uh, number one leaves off, and then three jump takes a massive time jump about two hundred years. Ooh, um, wow, okay, to, uh, to finish that off. Why does the uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you this script specifically? Wh- what's with the little bit about having it set just a little ways into the future, right, and like twenty twenty three? Little notes of like with holographic uh, phone conversations and stuff. Why, why did you set it just a little ways into the future like that? Just to not date it. Okay. Just to not say it has to happen. You know the 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 you know, the the. the uh, the doomsayers are saying, "Oh, it's gonna you know the the end of the world's gonna happen in you know uh, December." 21st in 1999, 2000, 2001, 2012. It's like, well, you guys really don't know when it's going to happen. So I just said it a bit in the future. I got you. Right. Okay. Question real quick. And you're going to have to excuse me if this is like a super stupid question. But like if there are no stupid questions uh, here on Script Shop, I don't know if that's a rule we can implement. But, you know, you say you didn't want to date it, but I feel like kind of setting it in 2023 and specifically creating what that future might be might actually date it if we get to 2023 and your script is nothing like that is that a stupid question right. it certainly could just uh i can keep kicking the date down, down oh the road a little yes bit, it's, it's almost a little no different than you know 1999 came and went and we don't have a moon base on the uh on the moon if you're familiar with space 1999 <laughs> right um 2015 you know back to future we don't have hoverboards yet so it's it's uh there's a it sounds it seems like there's a lot of room for forgiveness within that then yeah in case yeah, something like that happens also, yeah just again kick it down and kick it down the road a, a couple of years or something like that and I think I think we're as far as technology goes I think we're you know holographic uh, interface on laptops phones and all that stuff is uh, um, you know it's all definitely coming yeah yeah so. yeah we all see the writing on the wall there. So you've got this all planned out as a big three movie epic thing. Has this always been like a screen script movie sort of thing for you and not like a, a series of like YA novels or anything like that? I, at one point I had actually tried, uh, sat down and actually tried to write it as a novel and um, I suck at novel writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't, I don't think that's my forte. Um, cause I get, uh, I, I'd been, uh, politely, uh, critiqued on a couple of my opening scenes of a novel of a novelization of it. And, uh, uh, this woman who I value her opinion 
beyond, uh, she says, eh, screenplay's better. Oh, okay. Did, did, okay. did the novel version start out the same way where it just sort of thrusts you into the action? Because I like it when stories just start with chaos yeah, they get, and you don't they know what's really it. going on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I pretty much uh, pretty much the novel, if I had gone that route, it would have flowed exactly the way the uh, the script does. Because I, I, I'm pretty happy with the layout as far as uh, a little bit of nonlinear storytelling and uh, uh, getting you involved versus having you know, 15 to 30 pages of buildup before you actually see a vampire. Um, so I want to, I want to give you the, I mean, you you go into the movie theater, you know, you know, if you went and see South Pacific Rim, you know, you're going to be seeing giant, giant robots fighting giant monsters or, yeah. you know, uh, 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 so I was just like, yes, this is going to be about vampires and we're setting up the rules to where, you know, sunlight, um, crossing the threshold is yes, going to be a rule. I love that you detail. Don't, you, don't, mm-hmm. you don't see a reflection except for their clothes. That was one thing that always bothered me about uh, other vampire uh, uh, stories where you didn't see anything. And I'm like, well, why would their clothes suddenly vanish? Right. The whole how much of you underneath an invisibility cloak or like if you're invisible. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. that whole – anytime yeah. I ask people like would you rather fly or be invisible, they're like, well – I'm invisible. Do you still see my clothes or not? <laughs> right. It, and I'm always just like, imagination people, make your choices. <laughs> just stick with it. <laughs> yeah, but you did. You made your choices about the rules, about how the vampire world is set up in the story. You get yeah. into it, you establish those, and then you work out the rest of the story throughout the, the rest of the feature. So, Jeff, uh, is there a way if somebody likes what they're hearing and if they've gone on to scriptshopshow.com and, and read your work here, a uh, good way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, um, I uh, they can reach me on Facebook, uh, Jeff Pacetti. If you want to, you know, if you're if you're turned on by big apocalyptic monster vampire fight scene movies with some teen, a lot of teen angst thrown in, Jeff Pacetti's your guy. Thank you. <laughs> and Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us about this today. For me, especially, it was really fun getting into something that I don't typically read and then working it out with you about what means this and that means this and why you made specific choices yeah so we really really appreciate you coming on the show today thanks man oh no thanks for asking it was uh it was a lot of fun thank you yeah awesome well enjoy california we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon keep us updated uh if uh, you do get some other plastic surgeon doctor to fund this for you right yeah uh <laughs> yeah we're we're i'm working on a development right now of this uh Teen Angst movie uh, called After School with uh, another writer, David Tannenbaum. And I think we'll be able to get that off the ground a lot easier uh, uh, to start off with. Yeah. Well, I'm sure our listeners would love to know. Yeah. Sure. Steps. (laughs) Yeah. Crawl before you run. Exactly. Well, keep us in the loop, man, please. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. There we go. Yeah. Jeff Bassetti checking in. Jeff Bassetti. That script, it's got so much in it, too. You know? There's a lot. Yeah. Getting to talk through him or talk with him through the story is super helpful for me because mm-hmm. I do think the metaphors are really strong in mm-hmm. terms of like, because I, 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 dis, I don't hate, I just like <laughs> scripts that are like on the nose, yeah. you know, and really this point is kind of a coming of age thing. Mm-hmm. Do you choose to make moral choices in your life or not? And then kind of the pressures that young people can get pushed upon them mm-hmm. and then he puts this vampire element into it and that makes it it's a whole new level you I, know i always like how the conflict is breeded out of friendship is bred out of yeah. friendship like these two these aren't like it's two titanic opposing forces fight right. each other like professor x and magneto used to exactly. be friends and then get severed and there's so many stories like that because then then you got that emotional connection as to why you care about why right. these two are fighting right and you know and we start out by being like it's a vampire story but it's really so much more right than that which I appreciate that we got to get into that and lay it out in terms of the script and what we're dealing with today. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Uh, that was Jeff Bassetti. We, uh, yes. We are Script Shop Show. You can find us on the internet. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Script Shop Show. Jack is Script Shop Jack. On Twitter. And I'm your bestie Westie on Twitter. But if you're only, like if Jack and I were in a lifeboat and the mm-hmm. lifeboat was Twitter. I don't like where this is going. And it has a hole in the bottom and you, listener, have to pick one of us to save. Don't, don't, we you don't want to talk with about Jack, this. No, his, don't his say tweeting that. 
is way better than mine. First of all, the metaphor. And I will just drown and bubble. There will be bubbles of the, my dying breaths coming up to the surface. I don't like that. The metaphor, though, of Twitter <laughs> being a sinking boat is very funny. <laughs> oh, my God. It is very spot on. Good job there. Uh, if uh, you have written something that you would like yes. us to uh, read, if you maybe want to take a shot Send and be on the show. Scriptshopshow.com. Yes. Slash submit. submit. And interestingly, we are now on Film Freeway. Mm. So you can submit to us through Film Freeway if you're familiar with that platform. We would love to read your work. So get it to us, guys. We love them. Yeah. And until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to